0: doesn't love a good mystery? Welcome to Through the Bible. Here's a little known fact about our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee. He loved to read mystery novels. And you know, he often shared with his office friends the most recent Who-Done It story. Maybe that's one of the reasons that he loved the Word of God. You see, the New Testament tells us there was a mystery in the Old Testament that is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. It's the best Who Done It we'll ever read. Join us as we learn all about this mystery in today's study of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm Steve Schwetz, and you need to go ahead and find your place in God's Word while Greg and I share a few great letters from the Bible bus.
1: Today, Steve, I think we're going to talk about a language that I bet... None or very few of our listeners have have even uttered the name of this language in the last month, and that's that just shows something. Month? That's an easy. All right, bet the last year. Okay. okay. All Better. right. Okay. I but I don't bet. I'm not a betting man. Okay. I just challenge.
0: You. It's Lingala. Okay. That's Lingala. right. Lingala
1: and Lingala is spoken in
0: the Democratic Republic of the Congo, A.K.A. DRC,
1: and formerly known as Zaire, where my wife actually was on a mission trip and was baptized in the Congo River in Zaire back when it was called Zaire. Cool. So that's a personal thing. Is that okay for me to say? That's fine. Okay, thanks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the producer yeah. of our program, and it's been on the air there since 2017, is uh, Bernabi Muanda.
1: Mm. And life really is. I mean, we're we're laughing, yeah. but it's not. It's not a happy, easy place to live in the in the DRC. Uh, even though it has many natural resources, like so many of the beautiful countries in Africa, it is one of the five poorest nations in the world. Um, in 2021, more than half of the Congolese, around 60 million people, lived on less than two dollars a day. So, a lot of challenges, and of course, there's spiritual. Poverty. Some people claim to be Christians, but uh, th- that may not be something real. And we're so happy, Steve, that we get the privilege and the honor to bring the systematic teaching of Dr. McGee into the Lingala language and. The letters always tell the story.
0: Yep, and here's the first one. This is from a student at the university who writes, Hello, servant of God. I follow your program regularly on the radio. I like this Lingala Bible teaching so much because I learn a great deal of Bible truths. I was saved through this program, and I praise the Lord for that. I pray for you so that God continues to empower you to equip us with such interesting and divine words of life. God bless you.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. Now, here's a sister in Christ. She's living in the Kamatunga, Mwenga territory in the province of South Kivu, which, Steve, I don't know where that is, but I trust that uh, those who provide the reports, they know where this is. Hmm. She says, I discovered Jesus Christ is my Savior through your program. I am married with four children. My husband is a polygamist with three wives and Hmm. practices the Baha'i religion. What do I do? I pray he comes to Christ, But when that happens, what happens to us as his wives? Wow. Talk about difficult Uh, situations. These are the challenges. And we're so grateful that we work with partners who are local, who understand some of the cultural challenges and can help interpret Dr. McGee's teaching of scripture in a way that will help a sister like that.
0: Yeah. I think we've got time for one more letter. Here's one from another sister in Christ, a mother of three. Hello, pastor. I live in Uvira. It has been a long time I have followed your program. As I have a hunger to know the Word of God, I can tell you that this program is my answer. It has changed my life. I used to go to consult witch doctors for any problem I faced. Now I have understood that Jesus is my only answer. Thank you for teaching us the Word of God all the days of the week. God bless you.
1: So we have two ladies that say they got saved. We have another woman that says that she's now turned away from witch doctors. This is real life transformation, Steve. Yeah,
0: yeah. And if you're encouraged by this, and I sure hope you are, you need to join our World Prayer Team. We haven't talked about it much in a little while. Go to ttb.org forward slash pray. Sign up today. You'll be able to pray for listeners like this. You'll hear moving testimonies every day. And if you think the Lord's not moving, or maybe you think your email box is a little boring in the morning, this email will change both of those views for you. Greg, why don't you pray for us?
1: Father, what a privilege to pray for the world. What a privilege to bring the Word of God to the world. And Dr. McGee's teaching, we're so thankful that you let us participate in a small way in the amazing things you're doing in the lives of people all across the earth. We pray you'll continue to do that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Now here's Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee.
2: Now today, friends, we are coming to the second chapter of 1 Corinthians, and I trust you have your Bible open there. Now, in chapter 2, we've come now to the clarity of the Holy Spirit, and that corrects human wisdom. We saw something about that last time. But in chapter 1, it was the centrality of Christ crucified that corrects divisions. And the clarity of the Holy Spirit Human wisdom. Now, will you notice here that Paul begins, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, or declaring unto you the mystery of God. Now, there are two things here I'd like to call your attention to. The first is, that Paul did not use the philosophic method of preaching. He was not a textual or a topical preacher, but he was an expositor of the Word of God. And I personally believe that that is God's method. It is our Lord's method, by the way. Now, he says, first of all, that he didn't come with high-flown language and the wisdom of the world and declaring to them the testimony are as it is the mystery of God. Now, what does he mean by mystery? Well, the word mystery is a word that we'll bump up against again in this epistle, and we'll go into detail. But it means simply here, that which had not been revealed before. The mystery of God was now the fact that Christ is crucified, That is something that had not been revealed before. Now it is revealed. It was only back in the Old Testament in type and in prophecy. Now he says in verse 2, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, Paul did not enter into these philosophical discussions that gender to strife, but rather... He stuck to his last, as a good shoemaker would. He stayed right with the preaching of the cross of Christ, a crucified Savior, one who had died for the sins of the world. And again, may I say, that is the type of ministry that is so desperately needed today. Now, we find in verse 3, And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. Paul opens up his own heart and lets you see his inmost thoughts and his thinking when he was there among them, that he was greatly disturbed. He was in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And little wonder then that he could say God has chosen the weak things of the world. God has chosen the things that are not. Paul had no exalted conception of himself And yet, he was a great intellect, a great man, I think, in many ways, but he never thought of himself like that. He says in verse 4, in my speech, in my preaching, was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And we have a great many words of man's wisdom today, and there's a great deal of preaching But very little of it is done in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And that again is the thing that is needed today. There is a feeling today if we get the right method or if we have the right sermon or if we say the right thing. Important thing is that it be in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man but in the power of God. In other words, if human wisdom is used to win a man, then his faith stands on that. But if he's been brought to faith through the power of God, then his faith rests upon that. That's the reason that I severely question a great deal of this apologetic preaching today, that is, trying to prove the Bible is God's word and trying to prove that the first chapter of Genesis is scientific and that the flood really happened. Now, don't misunderstand me. I think there's a place for that. And thank God for the men who've gone into those areas and specialized that. But we do need to understand that salvation does not rest upon whether you can actually prove the inspiration of scriptures. Now, I think you can do it. But that's not the question. The question is... What does your faith rest upon? What does your faith rest upon? Well, I think our faith rests upon the power of God. It rests upon that. And therefore, since it rests upon that, then it won't rest upon these other things as important as they might be and the part they might play in calling our attention to the Word of God. But faith must stand on the power of God. Therefore, Paul goes on to say this. He says, "Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. That is, what kind of wisdom? Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. Paul says, I do not use the worldly methods at all. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Now, here is this word mystery again. Even the hidden wisdom of, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Now again, we have this word here, mystery. And let's be very clear that it's not a whodunit. That which is a mystery today for most of us would naturally be a whodunit. Or we'd read in the paper that someone was murdered and they hadn't found the guilty party yet. And it was quite a mystery of how all of this came about. Well, it was a mystery. What do you mean then by a mystery? Well, in that case, it would mean something that we didn't know about. We didn't know the answer to it. Well, actually, the word is used in the Scripture here is a word that means more than that. It means not something that is not understood. It's something that hasn't been understood in the past and is now understood. It's something that is very clear. Now, this word mystery occurs about 27 times in the New Testament. It occurs three times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and always on the lips of our Lord, but it refers to the same parables. He says, Unto you it's given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, these mystery parables and For instance, Matthew 13. Why are they mystery parables? Because they tell of the direction that the kingdom is going to take in the interval between the rejection of the king until the time he comes to set up his kingdom. That actually had not been revealed in the Old Testament at all. God had not yet revealed that to man. Now he is revealing that to man. Now we speak, he says, God's wisdom in a mystery. And that is something that is quite interesting here. It's a word that came out of the Greek schools of philosophy, of the occult and of science. And Paul fastened on it, and he says, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. But he gives it an entirely new meaning. Mystery comes from a word meaning mouth, and it means to shut the mouth. You know, it's a shush proposition. But Paul never so used it. That which had been silent has become vocal. That which had not been known and could not be known as the result of human investigation, now it's known. A mystery in the New Testament always means something undiscoverable by the activity of the human intellect, but it's revealed so that human intellect can understand it. A mystery is something which has been revealed so that it may be apprehended with the mind of man and the human intellect. Now, we have a wisdom. Paul says we have a philosophy. It's not of this age. It's not of this world. And it's God's wisdom. And it pertains to the cross of Christ. This is the wonderful thing he's saying here. Now he moves on. He says we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, they did not know. But as it's written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now here's a verse that has surely been misunderstood. It's gone to a funeral too many times. And I don't think this verse should go to a funeral. I've heard it used when I was a boy in the country Old doctor so-and-so or somebody, he's dead. Now there's his remains there right before us. And when he was here, why, he wasn't able to see too well. He didn't hear too well. He didn't understand too well. But he's arrived now, and he understands everything. Well, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying this, that right here and now, there are certain things that the eye hath not seen. There are certain things you can't get with your eye gate, and we learn more through our eye gate than we do any other way, but there are certain things you can't learn through the eye gate, nor ear gate. Now, the ear is another way we learn. We learn by hearing, and yet there are certain things you can't get just through the ear gate, and neither entered into the heart of man, that is by cogitation, by thinking, by reasoning. There are certain things you could never attain. God never had a Columbus. You can't discover him. You can't by searching find out God? Well, of course you cannot. Now, these are things that you can't learn. The things which God hath prepared for them that love it. You don't get it by the eye gate, the ear gate, or by reasoning at all. Well, how are you going to get it? But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, what he's simply saying here is that which you can't get through the eye gate, the ear gate, why the Spirit of God can teach it to you. Now, there are certain things in the Bible that you can get through the eye gate, and you can get through the ear gate, and you can get through reasoning. I used to tell students that, and there are a lot of pious students, think God's going to give them answers to questions on examination. And I had a few like that. They felt like if they sort of stuck their Bible under the pillar the night before exam that the answers had come up through the duck feathers into their head somewhere or another. Some silly thing like that. Well, my friend, you're not going to learn that method at all. There are certain things you can get by study in the Bible, the history of it. You can learn the poetry of it. And there are many things you can learn by using your head and by study. But you can't get spiritual truth that way because the important thing is God hath to reveal them unto us by spirit. There's certain things only the spirit of God can reveal to us. And then he says, for what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now, you and I understand each other because we have the spirit of man. I know how you feel when you fall down, for instance, embarrassing, isn't it? And I watched an elder of mine one snowy morning in Nashville come out of his house, and he slipped and fell. He had two scuttles full of ashes he's taken out to the alleyway to empty in his garbage can, and he held on to him. He didn't spill on ash, but he sure fell hard. And he got up and looked all over the landscape to see if anybody was looking at him. Why'd he do that? Well, I knew exactly how he felt because I was dying laughing. He's embarrassed by it. I have a spirit of man. He has a spirit of man. But I don't know how God feels. I do not know that. And if I'm to understand anything about God, he'll have to reveal it to me. Now, Paul says, verse 12, now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Now, there's certain things that we can only understand that the spirit of God reveals to us. And he does it freely. He wants to be our teacher Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Spirit teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, he makes this very profound statement here, and it's an axiom of Scripture. It's a very familiar verse, but the natural man. Now, that is the man that's unsaved. That's the way we are born into the world. We are dead in trespasses and sin. We have no capacity for God. We're an enemy of God. Now, the natural man, he receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Now, I hear this constantly of our program. A man told me he was a salesman. He's back east. He said, I just was going down the dial on my car radio. I was traveling to another town where I was to speak. And he said, I heard you come on. And I said, hear another preacher, and I'm tired of listening. And he said to them, and he started to turn me out, and he said, well, he's teaching the Bible. And I was dealing with I don't know what passage, but he said, I wonder what he'll say about that. And he began to listen. Now, he resisted that. And in fact, he finally cut me off, and he said, that fellow's some sort of a nut, a religious nut. But the next day, traveling to another town, he said, I'll listen again. And he listened again. And then coming back through, he remembered the time and he listened again. And finally came to the Lord. But the natural man, he receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Why? They're foolishness unto him. And believe me, if you're listening to me right now, friend, and you're not a Christian, If you don't think what I'm saying is foolish, there's something wrong with you or me, one of us, we're wrong because God says that the natural man, this type of thing is foolishness to him. That is the preaching of the cross of Christ for salvation. And he says, neither can he know them. And I used to think in college, I had the high-minded notion that anything any man wrote, I could understand. Well, I found out that wasn't. True, and you certainly are not going to know the Word of God till the Spirit of God opens your mind and heart to understand it. He says here, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, only the Spirit of God can take the things of Christ and show them unto us. Now, the Lord Jesus said that. He said, when I go, I'm going to send him unto you. Now, when he comes, he'll not speak of himself. He'll take the things of mine and show them unto you. And friend, until the Spirit of God shows you the things of Christ, my speaking is certainly in vain. Now, verse 15, But he that is spiritual, that is, he that has the Holy Spirit, a child of God, he judgeth all things. That is, he understands these things, yet himself he's not understood. He is judged of no man. That is, no man's able to understand him. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, you can't tell God anything, but he can tell you a great deal. And he can't until we have the mind of Christ. That is, till the Spirit of God takes these things and shows them unto us. Now, we have just a moment or two that's left. I'd like to make an experiment with you today. Now, out yonder, listening in, right now, is a great company of folk. Now, in that company right now, there's people that are not Christians. You probably listened to this hour for some reason. I don't know why. Or you've listened to part of it, or maybe you've tuned us out by now. But if today you are not a saved person, don't you really think that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to you? Don't you think that for a man to die on the cross, which looks like total defeat, doesn't that impress you as being not salvation, but being something that's rather foolish? And yet God says this is his method, this is his wisdom, that he gave his son to die on the cross for you in order that you might be saved and that you'll have to trust him to be saved. Now, does that impress you as being foolish? Now, if you're unsaved today, we're making this experiment. Would you mind just dropping me a note and saying to me, Preacher, I listen to you, and you want to know my reaction, and I want to tell you, I think that what you're saying is rather foolish. I can't see how that's important. I can't see how that is going to save anyone. Now, if that is your experience, Well, write and let me know. And if it's not your experience, I'd like to know. And then if you're a child of God, I'd like your reaction. Now, I heard the other day from a man who's a comedian. I've not read his letter and don't intend to. He's a comedian in a nightclub. He listens to our program. He thinks that I am without doubt an oddball. He thinks I'm funnier than he is. And you know, that's the way it should be. What's your reaction? So until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. That's a great
0: challenge. Email us at biblebus at ttb.org or send your note to Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. Or in Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. I'm Steve Schwetz, and as always, I'm going to meet you back here next time as The Bible Bus continues through the Bible. Don't miss it. Well, ride the Bible bus for five years and you'll be amazed at what God teaches you from His Word about what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's a blessing that keeps on going. That's what we believe at Through the Bible.